Hi, I'm Alex Mason, host of Stock Stories. This is the podcast where we decode investing principles by analyzing the business behind the stock, as well as learning about mental models in order to help you become a better investor. You ready? Let's go. Right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. Yes, my name is Alex Mason. I am your host and stock storyteller. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's another beautiful day. And yeah, this is the show where we decode real companies to find investing principles, timeless investing principles that we can apply to many different investments. And we also talk about mental models. What are the philosophical underpinnings of how we should be making decisions? It's not just about the case studies. It's not just about the mental models. Let's bring them all together. That's what the show is all about. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Today on the show, we are talking about another company. We're going through the entire S&P 500. And of course, we throw in some other companies there too that are not in the index. But that is one of the main goals of this show. And we're going to keep moving right along. Today, we're going to talk about another auto specialty retailer. You can recall that we talked about AutoZone not too long ago. I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was a lot of fun for me to put together. And so today, we're going to look at one of their competitors. Remember, it's not good enough to just look at a company in isolation. Every company fits within a big ecosystem of other companies in their industry. And even within that industry, it fits within a larger ecosystem of a sector. And the sector fits into a larger ecosystem of an economy in the world. So there's different levels to all of these things. And what this episode is focused on is at the company level, but we can jump around to different companies within the same niche, within the same industry to get a better sense of how they operate, how they compete with each other and what the growth prospects are. So without further ado, let's talk about advanced auto parts. All right, let's talk about Advanced Auto Parts, ticker symbol AAP. Now, the way that we structure these episodes typically is we look at things in more or less chronological order. So we start with the history of the company so we can get a better sense of the context and where it comes from. Then we move on to the business model and then move on to financials and some closing thoughts about valuation and the future because it's always important to look at what the future might hold, right? So let's start with the history of advanced auto parts. So in the AutoZone episode the other day, we learned that Pep Boys has been one of the competitors of AutoZone for many years. And so our story today actually begins with that business. So Pep Boys opened up many years ago, actually way before AutoZone was created, Pep Boys was created in 1921 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So all the way back in the early 1920s, it was around. And remember, 
cars were still very much a novelty back in these days. Not everybody had cars. It wasn't really until the boom after World War II ended that cars became like this huge part of American culture and everybody was buying vehicles. So for Pet Boys to be created all the way back in the 20s, that's pretty pretty interesting. They were definitely a front runner in this type of a business. And several years after they were founded, they created a company called Advanced Stores, LLC, in 1929. And that started out with two stores in Virginia. So they kind of created this subsidiary and it was just kind of this company on the side. Now, as the Great Depression was ending in America, in 1932, Advanced Stores ended up getting purchased from Pet Boys by a man named Arthur Tobman. Now, Arthur Tobman saw this business as a potential opportunity. He wanted to expand it and improve it. Now, Tobman's eyes were set on expansion, so he built a new store in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So he kind of stayed in that region of the country at first. Now, it's important to note that at this time, Advanced Stores was really more of a variety retail store than a specialty store. I mean, they were known for having aftermarket car parts, which was good. That's kind of how we tie that line from back in the day all the way up to today. But they also sold other goods. They sold home goods, and they even had a large selection of toys for children during Christmas time. So they were kind of this mix and match of, of retail products. Kind of think of them as like an early, a very early Walmart in a way. Now, decades passed and the business it remained intact, but it wasn't until 1972, so fast forward many decades, that management decided they wanted to focus on becoming a go-to source for specialty auto, auto parts. Now, I think a lesson we can pause and think about here is that sometimes otherwise typical businesses will not really do much in their lifetime. I mean, they're just, you know, maybe they make a little bit of money, but they don't grow that fast. They're not uh, leaders or innovators in any big way. But sometimes management takes over. New management comes in and then a business can be totally transformed by new management. And this is something that we've seen in other companies as well. So a new management took over uh, in 1972. They decided that they were going to change some things. And they built their first freestanding store in Roanoke, Virginia the next year. And then the year after that, they ended up renaming themselves to Advance Auto. They wanted to refine their brand and focus on auto types of products. They refined their brand even further in 1985 by changing their name again to Advance Auto Parts. And that really signaled the desire to focus on serving hard parts, hard auto parts to customers. So not just things that were auto related, but kind of narrowing that focus. And I think this just goes to show how branding is so important, especially for a relatively young business that isn't well known yet. I mean, of course, the origins go back to the 20s, but Advanced Auto, it, it, in its current form, it really didn't exist until much later. So branding is really important. People need to know immediately what you do and what you can provide to them. Carefully choosing the correct business name 
that can help drive customer recognition and eventually brand loyalty and increase sales, right? So for advanced auto parts, you hear that name or you see that sign and you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's what they sell. By 1987, advanced auto parts was expanding a lot. So they created their 100th store. Now this was kind of a big deal because Note that up until this point in the story, the growth profile of the business has been actually really slow. The origin started all the way in 1921, and it wasn't until 1987 that this kind of split-off subsidiary, Advanced Auto Parts, got its 100th store, not until the late 1980s. Now, keep in mind, during this time, AutoZone was growing pretty rapidly, so AutoZone already had a lot of stores at this point. Advanced Auto Parts was relatively smaller as a competitor. But in the 1990s, the company really started expanding at a faster rate. And instead of doing it organically, the management strategy for this business was they mostly did it by acquisition. So they had a ton of acquisitions. I will not go into all of them here. There's just so many of them that I found in my research. But Some of the bigger ones were in 1998, they purchased a company called Western Auto Supply from Sears, and that immediately doubled the size of the company. So sometimes there are these huge moments where a company acquires a competitor and it just becomes this like huge business. This is something that we saw actually when we studied Sherwin-Williams many, many episodes ago, they acquired the competitor Valspar recently, and Valspar was already a huge company, so it made Sherwin-Williams a lot bigger, even though it was already a large company. So sometimes you get these massive acquisitions. Now, between 1998 and 2001, the company continued buying. They went on a buying spree, and they acquired several hundred stores from a few different companies, and this was also the moment when they decided to go public. They became publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange in 2001, So this was, of course, during the dot-com bubble and, you know, may not have been the best time. Actually, it probably was a good time to go public because share prices were pretty high. They could probably get a good amount for their shares. So probably not a bad move. Now, another notable acquisition was of a company called Autopart International. And this is a wholly owned subsidiary of the company. And what they do is they provide auto parts to commercial customers. So remember, we have the DIY business within this business, and we also have the commercial business. And this was a really big part of their business. So commercial sales reached a billion dollars by 2006. So this kind of became a cornerstone of advanced auto parts business from this point forward. Now, moving on into the 2010s, the company continued its streak of acquisitions and they eventually grew to over 70,000 employees and several thousand stores. So they increased their size massively over time over the past couple of decades and really grew to that level where from a size perspective, they're definitely right there with a company like AutoZone. And another thing is that in 2019, they acquired the diehard battery brand And that's one of the more recognized brands of car batteries on the market. So similar to how AutoZone has the Duralast brand, Advanced Auto Parts has a diehard brand. You can see the parallels just very easily just looking at the history between these two companies. Let's move on now to the business overview. So Advanced Auto Parts is one of the largest auto parts suppliers in North America, second really only to AutoZone. 
And Advanced Auto Parts, they've got 6,300 stores. Most of them are in the United States. And that number includes about 1,200 independently owned CarQuest stores. That's another brand that they own. Now, the way that Advanced Auto makes money is in a little bit more of a balanced approach, I would say, than AutoZone. So 60% of Advanced Auto's revenue comes from commercial accounts. So definitely a big piece of the pie there. 40% comes from do-it-yourselfers. So individuals like you and I going to a retail location and buying some car parts. Now remember that for AutoZone, over 80% of its business comes from do-it-yourself retail. So the business models are actually very different as far as the mix of customers. And that can kind of play into the growth aspects and other aspects of the business too. So the DIY business for Advanced Auto, it's basically the same thing as AutoZone. Okay, it's a brick and mortar retail store, sells parts to the public. The commercial business sells to other businesses. That's called a B2B or business to business type of business model. And just as an example, the types of customers, there are auto dealers, independent garages or service stations. So they're selling primarily to other businesses and that's how they make their money. All right, moving on now to the financials of this company. So for the sake of simplicity, we always look at just a couple snapshots in time for the numbers. So we're going to look at the trends of the numbers over time. So let's look at 2011 fiscal data and compare that to 2019 data and just see if we can notice any trends here. So first, let's start at the top line. This is sales. How much sales did Advanced Auto have? Well, they had about $6 billion in 2011, and by 2019, they grew that to just underneath $10 billion. So that's about a 6% annual growth rate in sales. So not bad, definitely on the lower end, but I would say that sales growth is is more or less probably average for the S&P. Um, so nothing, nothing too interesting there on the high end or the low end. As far as their income, remember, sales are not enough. The company needs to be making money. What does the profit look like? In 2011, they made about $400 million. And then 2019, it was just under $500 million. So really, there's not a huge difference there. If we look at this past decade, the company hasn't really grown profits that much. And that's only about a 2.5% annual growth rate in the profit. Well, what about earnings per share? Maybe this is an AutoZone situation. Maybe the company buys back a ton of shares and earnings per share is way higher. Well, that's not really the case. In 2011, Advanced Auto made $5.11 per share in profit. And then in 2019, they made $6.84. So yeah, just about under 4% growth rate there. So not really that impressive, not really that impressive. Um, so that's, that's how things look on the income statement side of the financial statements. Now let's go to the balance sheet. So remember what a company owns versus what they owe. Now I'm not going to talk about all the assets and, and those kinds of things here, but I do just want to quickly look at two things, cash and debt. So cash allows a company to be pretty resilient during hard times, and they can do a lot of things with cash. So I like to look at that. 
In 2011, the company had just under $60 million in cash, so not a lot of money there. And then in 2019, that increased substantially to over $400 million. So they increased their cash a lot, which I think is a great thing. And then looking at the total debt load, though, they've increased that as well. So it went from about $400 million to about three quarters of a billion dollars, so almost $750 million. But really, it's not that much. I mean, usually when we're talking about debt for a company of this size, we're talking in the billions and billions of dollars. So this is a company that, yeah, they've got debt on the balance sheet, but it's, it's just not that bad compared to something like their sales. I mean, this is a company that's making almost $10 billion in sales, and they have less than a billion in debt. Now, the, the problem with this is they don't have a huge amount of actual cash flow, and we'll get to that in a moment. So one thing I do want to point out on the expense side is capital expenditures. So capital expenditures, these are the costs of the business like property, uh, machinery, equipment, land, uh, all those kinds of things that make a business able to produce what it needs to produce. So in 2011, the company spent about $270 million in capital expenditures. And in 2019, they spent $270 million, which I don't know. I, I just feel like that's that's pretty lame. Like they didn't spend more. They didn't reinvest more in their business over the course of a decade. They're still they're still spending about the same amount. And normally, I wouldn't notice something like this as that big of a deal. But the reason that I bring it up is because the company, in their latest annual report, they brag about how much capex they spent in 2019. But this is virtually identical to what they invested several years ago. So it's not really a big deal. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of times management, they, they like to brag about, they like to brag about certain aspects of their business and they'll kind of cherry pick all these different things that look good, <laughs> but it's not necessarily the things that are most important to you and I as investors. So always keep that in mind. Always, always be careful at how the management of a company is portraying things because maybe they're being forthright and honest with you as a potential shareholder, but maybe they're not. And in many cases, they're just not. They're just trying to make themselves look good. So be careful of that. So moving on to the subject of cash flow, how much money is being brought in by the business? So the net income numbers, again, we know they're not that impressive, but what about operating cash flow? How much money is coming in the door as a result of normal business activities? In 2011, the company made about $830 million in operating cash. In 2019, that number increased to only about $860 million. So this is a company that isn't even making a billion in cash flow, and that number has basically barely buzzed for more, more so a decade. It's, it actually hasn't been that great at all. So uh, that's a very disappointing piece of data for me as I see this. Their investing cash flow has increased somewhat. Um, it's normally around $300 million. It was actually a little bit bigger in 2019, but there were some acquisitions in 2019, so that's why it's reflected in those numbers. So not a huge deal there. The financing cash flow, 
they went from about 500 million to almost 900 million in financing cash flow. And, and that's higher than usual due to some share repurchases as well as paying off some debt. So management has been doing a few things there, but not much. And then let's talk about dividends. So this is a company that pays dividends. Remember that AutoZone, they do not pay dividends at all. They put all their money into buying back shares. Advanced Auto is a little different. They do a little bit of both. They pay some dividends. They buy back some shares. And over time, management has not really spent a lot of money on dividends. They spent only $18 million, which is a paltry, paltry amount in 2011. And then in 2019, they only spent $17 million. <laughs> and I think that's because of share buybacks. So when they buy back the shares, there's less shares outstanding for them to have to pay dividends on. So the total absolute value of dividends that are being paid out to shareholders actually decreases. If you keep your dividend per share the same, but the number of shares decrease, well, you don't have to pay out as much money in dividends. So that's something that happened there. And then um, on a per share basis, that's exactly what happened. The company has paid out 24 cents per share in dividend for decades decades they never lowered it but they never raised it it's just been frozen in time for years and years and years so that's something that usually is not a good sign because it means that management is not actively producing enough cash to give it out to shareholders now if a company doesn't pay dividends at all they're and they're returning cash in a different way like share buybacks or maybe they're reinvesting in their business with a really high return that's like return on invested capital that kind of a metric, then that's a great thing to see. But here, you know, with the option, with with the decision of management to share some money with the shareholders in dividends, that's not really that impressive. Now, let's also look at the shares outstanding because I do want to talk about buybacks. The company has done some buybacks. They went from about 73 million shares to 69 million shares. So that's only a decrease of what is that? 4 million shares over an eight year period, but that's, that's almost nothing. So they bought back a little bit of shares, but not really that much. All right, let's talk about the valuation now and some closing thoughts. So although this is a business that has had a relatively balanced profile between earning revenue between commercial customers and individuals this is just not a business that generates a large amount of cash flow. I mean, the cash flow has been relatively stable over the past several years, but it's disappointing, really. It's disappointing considering that sales growth has been in the modest uh, 6% range. So when you have your top line growing, even if it's not growth that's that great, your earnings should be growing at or above that rate, you know, based on your margins. So... I don't know. I just don't think this is that that great, really. I mean, the years between 2007 and 2012 were interesting ones for Advanced Auto financially. So earnings per share actually rose significantly during this period. They rose from $2.28 per share to over $5.11 per share. So that's a huge jump in just a five-year period. That's like a 17% annual growth rate in earnings per share. So it looks like, whoa, this is a fast growing business. But I looked into the numbers a little closer and upon closer examination, this was not due to excellent sales growth. This was not due to excellent profit growth. 
this was done by taking a page out of the AutoZone playbook and they bought back a lot of shares. So the shares outstanding actually in 2007 were over 100 million and this went down to 77 million in 2012. So they reduced their share count by almost 6% a year over this time period. And if I was a prospective investor looking at this company in 2012, I would have been very impressed and said, oh, wow, management's okay. They're doing something with their money here and they're returning it to me as an owner. But that's not where the story ends. The the buybacks ended up stopping. The dividend remained frozen. And it's clear that management is trying to get its act together now. We'll see if they're successful. I don't know. But here's another thing about this business. Fundamentally, other than just capital allocation, I'm a little worried because of how they manage their stores. So in each of the last five years, the company has closed more stores than it opened. I mean, it seems that that thirst for aggressive growth through acquisitions over the years, it's caught up to the company. And now, during relatively good economic times, again, this is these numbers are pre-coronavirus, so that's not even taken into account here. During these relatively good economic times over the past decade, the company has had to deal with a somewhat bloated enterprise. They have all these stores, but they didn't take as much care clearly in in the quality of that growth. Remember, growth without sustainability is just a disaster waiting to happen. Doesn't matter what business you're talking about. There is another interesting tidbit to this company that I do want to share. And that's something that actually happened this year in 2020 as I'm recording this management made the decision to massively increase their dividend. So remember, they had their dividend at 24 cents per share literally for for like decades, y'all. I I looked at the dividend history as deeply as I could, and it goes back for many, many years. They just kept that dividend at 24 cents per share like clockwork every year. But now they increased it from a payout of 6 cents per quarter to 25 cents per quarter that's an increase of over 316%. And they can certainly sustain this with their current level of earnings. But wow, shareholders just got rewarded like massively. But it's so weird to me because they're so inconsistent. Like one year, you know, they'll have a five-year stretch where they're buying back lots of stock and then they stop and then they keep their dividend the same for decades and then they give a massive raise. But who knows what 2021 is going to hold for this company as far as dividends or buybacks. Who knows? Management just doesn't seem to have a very clear plan, or if they do, it's going to take a while to see their track record to see what their strategic plan really is. So I just, I don't know. I don't know about that. But hey, if you were an advanced auto parts shareholder already, then you just got a massive raise. So that's awesome for you. As far as valuation, the shares right now, they're trading around $150 per share, give or take, and that's against earnings per share of the for the past year of about $6.90, somewhere around there. And that's a price-to-earnings ratio of, of around 20 or 21. And personally, I think that's kind of rich. I think it's rich, especially for a company with management that seems to produce inconsistent results. It's not that they don't produce good results. They have produced good results in the past. It's the lack of consistency that gives me pause. 
And whenever I see a business where management is clearly being inconsistent, especially if it's over the recent decade or you know recent past, then that immediately makes me pause in my tracks and say, okay, do I really want to become a part owner in a business like this? Probably not. I mean, of course, valuation always plays into it. You know, you throw these shares to me at five times earnings, you know, maybe it's a different story, but <laughs> a PE of 21 for a, a low, a low growth business is just doesn't seem that great, but maybe I'm missing some like big competitive advantage, but I don't know. I'm just not that excited about advanced auto based on what I've seen, but you can decide that for yourself. Take the information and the facts I've given you and do your own assessment and let me know if I missed something. I, I got a, a question uh, from, from a listener recently about actually AutoZone and, and we were going back and forth a little bit uh, via email just about the balance sheet and it, it made me look into things a little more, honestly. So if you uh, have any thoughts about this business or have any questions or suggestions, let me know. Send me an email. It's alex at stockstoriespodcast.com. You can also send me a DM on Instagram at stockstoryteller. And actually, I don't think I've really talked about this, but I'm also on Twitter too. I haven't focused as much on Twitter until recently, but I'm also on Twitter. So hit me up there at Stock Storyteller. Also, I'll put the links in the show notes. But yeah, I want to know what your thoughts are about Advanced Auto. And I just love having discussions with you. So I appreciate that. That's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. And my name is Alex Mason. I am your host and Stock Storyteller. And next week, we'll be talking about a mental model. This is a mental model that I think is really powerful. And again, like almost every mental model, it applies to so many different aspects of life and you don't want to miss that. So be sure to subscribe and listen next week for that episode. information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.